We used to like going to teen camp because after teen camp, everybody would come and give the speaker a hug. And I'd have all these young girls just coming and hugging me. It was a great day. I found this story interesting that I picked up this week. A young soldier and his commanding officer got on a train together. The only available seats were across from an attractive young lady who was traveling with her grandmother. As they engaged in pleasant conversation, the soldier and the young woman kept eyeing each other. The attraction was obviously mutual. Suddenly the train went into a tunnel and the car became pitch black. Immediately two sounds were heard, the smack of a kiss and the whack of a, sla of a slap across the face. The grandmother thought, I can't believe he kissed my granddaughter, but I'm glad she gave him the slap he deserved. The commanding officer thought, I don't blame the boy for kissing the girl, but it's a shame that she missed his face and hit me instead. <laughs> the young girl thought, I'm glad he kissed me, but I wish my grandmother hadn't slapped him for doing it. And as the train broke into the sunlight, the soldier could not help wipe, wipe the smile off his face. He had just seized the opportunity to kiss a pretty girl and slap his commanding officer and had gotten away with it. <laughs> he seized the moment. You know, so often we are not like that soldier and we fail to seize the moment in our lives that God gives us. God fills our lives moment by moment, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, with divine moments. He rushes them down into our presence through his Holy Spirit, and we often forget to take advantage of it because we don't realize that the moment is there. But it's God's desire from his holy word that says he wishes that no one, that everyone would come to the, the grace of Christ, that no one would miss eternal life, that all would find eternal life. And so he is filling our lives with moments that will allow that to be accomplished. Unfortunately, many times we get so caught up in the details of our day-to-day -day life we just don't find the time to seize the moment of the day that God has given us. I'm going to continue my series, Preparing for God, the Reign of God's Blessings for Our Church, by looking at three thoughts over my next three messages. This week, next week, and then I'm going to let Freddie have a go for a while, and then I will be back. I'm going to talk today about living like Jesus, next week loving like Jesus, and finally leaving behind what Jesus left behind. I believe that these three ingredients, as we apply them to our lives, continue to march us as individuals down toward the road of God's blessing in our life, and because our lives personally are moving towards the blessing of God's life, collectively we as a church will begin to receive 
the blessing that God has already destined for this building and for this people. Do you believe that? You don't sound like it. Can we get a little black? You know, you ever go to a black church? I went to a black church when I was in New York with you, with Youth for Christ. Uh, I'm sorry, in Chicago. But a, a, another gal from New York, we decided we were going to go to the, a black church in, in the center of Chicago. I went there with Youth for Christ to do some street training and work with the gangs there. And we decided to go to this church, and we went to this church, and we were the only two white people in this wonderful black church. I thought, wow, this is so cool. You know, the church service was four and a half hours long. I thought I was there 20 minutes. It was just filled, filled with God's presence. They had a choir that sang to the, the church itself probably held 3,000 people. They had a choir that went all kind of around the church on the floor, standing at this level, looking up at all the choirs up there were five choir directors. And they each had a portion of that choir that they directed. They had children, they had youth, and, and, and they, they were all singing. And these directors were just like they'd been filled with something. They were actually, I think, dancing. That's okay. But it was wonderful. And I remember Tony Campolo speaking about some churches that he spoke in that were black, and he said one time, I got so excited because the little old ladies, they, they, they really try to help the preacher because they start to tell him so. Help him, Jesus. Help him, Jesus. Help him, Jesus. I mean, you can get excited when I say, I mean, if that was happening to me, I'd want to take notes on my own message. But there's some enthusiasm, and God has blessing for this church. And that blessing will begin as we seek for the blessing God has for each of us. We exist on this earth for one reason. Let me get my toy out here now. Oh, we have a white screen. That's because I didn't turn it on. God's blueprint for ministry. We exist on this earth for one reason. We are the reflection of Jesus Christ. We are to shine his light and the light of the gospel into darkness. Today I want to speak about living like Jesus. You remember that I have a motto. Can anybody remember? What is it? Becoming the visible Jesus. B-T-J-V. B-T-V-J. My wife said, you made it wrong. <laughs> Help him, Jesus. <laughs> Amen. B-T-V-J. That is the goal that I believe God wants of this church that we would become the visible Jesus. Now this morning, we're going to look at, we'll examine three thoughts. 
over these next weeks and today, what does it mean to live like Jesus? Three imperatives, I believe, come from not only this scripture, but gathering of all of scripture together, there are these three thoughts. He gives us a picture and a power. We are to model life as Jesus did. We are to embrace the downward spiral. Those three thoughts, I believe, are key ingredients that we need to apply to our lives if we are really going to become the BTVJ. Become the visible Jesus. First of all, let's look at the picture. The picture portrayed. Jesus could have simply given us power. Jesus could have, just simply when he came to earth, immediately filled us with his spirit and his power, and there would have been no other reason for Jesus to be around. But that's, what, that's not the choice Jesus made. Jesus chose to be here with his disciples and disciple them and to model his life before them. Jesus wanted people to see that he walked his talk. He just didn't want to say it. He wanted them to visualize it, to see it, and to adapt it. He modeled the life he intended us to have. If I were to ask you what is the greatest word that you receive when you start to talk to people about church, what is the first word that will come out of some people's mouth? Good for you. Okay, the second one. Have you ever heard the word hypocrite? Most often people believe, and particularly people who have been churchgoers and have chosen to leave the church, their expression was, the church is filled with hypocrites. My expression is, and if you come, there will be one more. The reality, folks, is it's not the fact that the people in church are doing things wrong that they call us hypocrites. It's how we treat people who do something wrong that calls them to call us hypocrites. It's that we forget that Jesus modeled grace. Jesus modeled grace. And if we're going to be, if we're going to live like Jesus lived, we need to be able to engulf our lives totally with a sense of grace. The two greatest words I find from the New Testament that I try to apply in my life are reconciliation and grace. It's been said, until you move beyond superficial faith, we will not experience supernatural living. Until we, beyond, until we move beyond the head knowledge of our faith and begin to see what God wants us to be and make moves, intentional moves become that, we will never experience supernatural living. But you know that God has called us to be supernatural. He calls us to be a peculiar people. He calls us to be separated apart, to be different. The, the picture Jesus portrayed in grace and reconciliation are these points. Jesus loved the unlovable. Jesus forgave the unforgivable. 
Jesus made disciples and followers out of the most unlikely people. Jesus worried about people's physical hunger. Do you know that Jesus is talking about hunger? Is one of the predominant messages he had while he walked this earth. He has a special place in his heart for the downtrodden and the hungry, spiritually and physically. Let me pause here and say this to you. We live, this church exists at 128. Hache Avenue, is that how you say it? Anyways, that's where we live. And we live and we exist on this corner of the third poorest community in Calgary. We live in the third poorest community in Calgary. We have more single parents in this community than any other community in Calgary. And we exist right here. Don't you think we should be doing something about it? Don't you think we should be doing something about it? If Jesus said his passion and his concern was for the hungry and the poor, what a beautiful place to be situated. Can you get excited about that? Can you say a little amen? That's pretty good. Jesus cried when, he, when, he, when his friend died. Jesus took his message to the streets. He hung out with those who needed his message most. He hung out with those who needed his message most. Jesus did not hang out all the time with church-going people. He busted loose from that and decided to hang out with those who needed it most. When I was with uh, World Vision, and uh, I was also doing in Bible college and in our church in Regina at the time, I was the leader for Evangelism Explosion. I don't know, some of us are probably old enough to remember that program. It's a, an evangelistic program. I was saved through that program, and I guess that's why I had a, a soft spot in my heart for it. So I began to train people in evangelism explosion. And one of my co-workers from, from World Vision who lived in Winnipeg, or actually Steinbach, and he, uh, he said, Gary, would you come here and do a, a, a crusade, uh, a weekend crusade at our church? And would you uh, teach some of our people, take some of our people, and try to train them in evangelism explosion? And I said, I'd be glad to come. I said, I don't know what I can do in a weekend, but what I will do is I'll try to help your pe people step beyond their comfort zone. So I went there and I, I was doing a crusades in the afternoon and the evening. And then in the mornings, and one evening in particular, we didn't have a, a crusade, I said, those of you who would be interested to come with me, we're going to go do some evangelism explosion in one of the most unlikely places. And so I got a bunch of hands up. We gathered at the back after the service. Where are we going to go? go? There were about 20 that were with me. And I said, we're going to go around the corner there to the bar. And we're going to go into the bar and do evangelism explosion. That 20 dwindled down 
to about six. We did go, and we had a great time. And we talked to a number of people about evangelism explosion, and we left the bar, and we were standing around the van that I was traveling in, and out of that bar came nine people to the van and said, could you tell us more? And we spent the next two hours talking about Jesus. Jesus took his message to where it was needed. But let's talk about the second part of that, the power given. NIV says, but you will receive on you and you will be my witnesses. The Living Bible in the Thought Translation reads this way. You will receive power to testify about me with great effect. You will receive power to testify about me, about me with great effect to the people in Jerusalem throughout Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. You will receive power to be an effective witness. We often think that that power is the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. The power for healing, the power for conviction, the power for, for all kinds of things. But what I gathered from this passage of Scripture is that Jesus says, I will give you power that will make you an effective witness. I will give you power that you can live like Jesus. Until we had the Holy Spirit, we did not have that power. We could never live like Jesus. But we have it now, and we can live like Jesus. And we have that power to do it. That's the power that's being spoken of here. The Holy Spirit's power to come and indwell us and cause us to live like Jesus. I'm sure if I asked you how many of you would like to live like Jesus, I would get all hands high. But one of the reasons we don't is we forget that we have the power to do it. Doesn't mean it won't fail. The Apostle Paul said, I am the worst of all sinners. I do the very thing I wished I did not do. But you and I would say, he's one of the characters in the Bible that live like Jesus. Amen? Because he had the power to get beyond his failure, get beyond his weakness, and to continue to march forward living like Jesus. Secondly, let's talk about we are to model, we are to model the life of Jesus. Oh, let me get my, Freddie and I got a, a new Bible, new, new pulpit coming. He wants water and Bible and we have some other things up here. We are to model the life as Jesus did. We are to invite people to come and follow us. Jesus said, come and follow me to his disciples. He gives that same message to us to give to others, to challenge them to come and follow us. Come and be like us. I remember growing up, I, I was a 
You know, I grew up in the Air Force Base, you know that. And there was only two sports we played on the Air Force Base, either hockey in the winter or baseball in the summer. And I loved both sports. But I especially loved baseball because of my coach. We had this young, well, he wasn't a young man. He was probably, a, well, I was only 12, so I, I assumed he was probably 60, but he might have been only 30 or something. But he was a real baseball player. And you could tell he was a really good baseball player because he used to do something that when I watched baseball and I heard about it on the radio and I went to live games about baseball that baseball players were doing in those days, and they still do it today, he was chewing chewing tobacco. You ever see baseball players chew chewing tobacco? He got a big lump in his teeth. You know, the home plate gets so slippery, I don't think they can ever take off from there. Well, I wanted to be like him. I like this guy so much, I decided if I was really going to be a baseball player, I better learn to chew chewing tobacco. So I went to the grocery store, 12 years old, on the Air Force Base, and I asked for a package of chewing tobacco. And the guy said, Gary, because he, he knew everybody in the air, he said, you're too young, you can't have chewing tobacco. I said, it's for my dad. He said, well, okay, this time, but next time you have to bring a note. Okay. I grabbed this chewing tobacco. I went outside, got around the corner of the store, ripped that thing open. That's the day when chewing tobacco had to cut a chunk off with your knife. I had a little pocket knife in me. I cut a little sliver off, put it in my mouth, and my saliva started working, and I swallowed it. <laughs> Have some of you done that? It was the most horrible tasting stuff I'd ever taste. Was gross. I threw it down on the ground and I was extremely disappointed. I could never be like my coach. I could never be a good baseball player. But I've always been very creative. So I figured I'm going to create chewing tobacco. So I went and got me some Eat More bars. <laughs> Ever seen an Eat More bar? I took the wrappers off and I stacked them about yay high, put them in my closet in the bedroom. And it was really hot and it just kind of melted down and squished down. And I'd saved the chewing tobacco pouch and I shoved this Eat More bar in there. And it looked just like chewing tobacco. And I went back to the grocery store and I got me some jawbreakers. You know them jawbreakers and they get really black? And the next time I went playing baseball against the Navy team, the Navy kids, I went out there and baseball players always used to back in their back pocket and I let everybody see my back pocket and I went out there and I pulled out that pouch of chewing tobacco and I cut me off a hunk of that eat more bar and at the same time I rolled in a jawbreaker and I let that sit for three or four seconds and I went right up to their dugout and I spit and it were black and they said we'll never beat these guys they chew I share that story as an example that Jesus wants us to follow him as desperately as I wanted to follow my coach. As desperately as I wanted to be like him. Jesus wants us to emulate him. And where do we find that? We find it right in here, folks. We find it right in here. I'm afraid that today we're reading way too many books from blessings and not enough of this book 
which is what it really is. This is where we find Jesus and the interpretation that his spirit wants to give us, not the interpretation that some other author wants to give us. I want this, the interpretation that Jesus wants me to have for me. And it's found right here. So let me get on my whipping post today. How many people brought their Bible this morning? I won't ask how many didn't. We are to model the life of Christ. And finally, we are to remember and embrace the downward spiral. What do I mean by that? Not a downward spiral in a negative way, but a downward, spir sp a downward spiral in reality. Living like Jesus has a price to pay. Living like Jesus is costly. It means that we need to set some priorities in our life and pick up our cross and follow him. We need to look at the downward spiral that is ours. We are to evaluate our lives, relationships, and actions, and reactions, and priorities, and resources to his word. We are to be light of the world, the Bible says. Often Jesus called his people to leave their comfort zone and to embrace the uncomfortable. Living a downward spiral means we are really willing to follow Jesus anywhere he wants us to go. I want to say kudos to our mission. How many of you here in the room are on the mission team going to Guatemala? Where? Well, El Salvador, somewhere in that part of the country, world. I say kudos to you. I say good for you. I went on a mission field with World Vision, went to five different countries, and I got to tell you, that took me right out of my comfort zone. And I went to where the poor were, the ghettos and the burials. And I came home and I told my wife, we're selling our house, we're selling our car, and we're walking everywhere. It was out of my comfort zone, but it was one of the richest blessings of my life. Living in the downward spiral means we have to set some priorities. We have to turn the TV off so we can visit our neighbors. We have to find ways to interact with people at our work. I don't mean Jesus jamming them. I mean loving them and living Jesus before them. So what they see us, they see him. I asked myself when I was preparing this, where do we start? Where do we start? It's a big question. it's a big challenge and I say you start with this ever hitchhiked ever been hitchhikers how many have hitchhiked in your life me and pastor we were on the same stream I hitchhiked when I was a kid everywhere I hitchhiked across Canada when I was in the military me and my best friend and I have a soft spot in my heart for hitchhikers. Not my wife, 
When we see hitchhiking, if you, where we go in the summertime, a place called Nacosta, and we have our fifth wheel and we go there on weekends and by the lake there, the road to Nacosta is filled with hitchhikers. And I always have a sense I want to pick them up. My wife says, no, they might have a bazooka. <laughs> you know. there, there might be something there. You, you can't do that. But when she's not around, I do. And I'm by myself. And I have this, I have this way of doing it. You know, when you go by a hitchhiker, you kind of slow down, look out the window, and they look okay. You put on the brakes. You start backing up, and they start running towards you. I always have the habit of flipping open the passenger's door and saying, come on in, because I don't want them sitting at the back. If they're going to do me in, I want it to be eyeball to eyeball. <laughs> you know? So I, I always invite them in the front seat. Well, I want you to think about where you are in your life with Jesus right now. I want you to think about where you are in your living as Jesus wanted you to live. Understanding that he's given us the power to do that. Well, you're going down the road of life. You're driving down your road of life. And if you know Jesus, you're on the narrow road. If you're yet to find him, the road's a little wider and a little more treacherous. But you're going down the road of life in your favorite car. I'm a truck man. I got a big dually. That's a man's truck. But some people are Volkswagen people. Some people are minis. Some of those, those new ones that are about yay big, you hardly see in a body can get in there, but they're actually pretty good. But you're driving down the road of life in your vehicle, and you spot this hitchhiker. Say, I remember what that preacher said. I'm going to pick him up. So you drive by him, and you look out. Hmm, pretty nice-looking dude. Slam on the brake. He back, you back up. He comes running towards you. You flip open the passenger door. He bends over, and it's Jesus. And you say, come on in. Come on in. You're welcome here. Come on in. And he closes the door. You walk and walk across the head. You walk across the front of the car. And you're saying, oh, come on in. And he walks around to the driver's side and he opens it. And he says, do you really want me in? Then you need to go to the other side. Because I can only come in this way where the steering wheel is. Because that's the only way I can steer your life. I want to tell you, friends, we can go to church all our life. You can be, may be part of this church. And Jesus is the passenger or he's in the And you feel pretty good. But he can't steer your life from there. He can't take you where he wants you to go. He can't empower you to live his life without you taking your hands off the steering wheel. Any country and western singers here? Wow. This is bad. Anybody heard of Carrie Underwood? Ever know what her number one song was, the first one she ever wrote? What was it? Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel. I want to say to you this morning, my beloved friends, if we are going to live like Jesus, we need to let him take the wheel. 
We've got to let him take the wheel. We cannot do it ourselves. So good reflection for you this week. Good reflection for you. We're going to sing a song this morning. Jesus lives. John, I found somebody I hope to sing for Jesus. He's coming with his, his crew. As we sing this song, you find it in your hymnal. It's in the bulletin. I don't have my bulletin with me. So I... 550. As we sing this song, as we sing this song, I want to ask yourself, I want you to ask yourself, where is Jesus in your life? Where is he? Is he in the passenger side? Is he in the trunk? Is he in the back seat? Because if he's not at the steering wheel, he can't move you. He can't get you going in the right direction. He can't steer. And if you need to do something with Jesus today, if you need to let him move wherever you have him, and you want to move him to the steering wheel. Well, we sing this song. Well, we sing this song. I want you to do that. You see, I don't need to know if you do that. Even though as evangelists, we really like these hands up and that rah-rah stuff. I just want Jesus to know. So as we sing this song, if you need to change a little relationship, you do that.